Split Tube Media and a Synesthesia Podcast present a special daily October podcast. Hell, 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 hell. to the king, king, king. Jason, have you read Stephen King's books? Have you read Stephen King's books? Books, 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 King movie, a Stephen King movie. Movie a Stephen King movie. King. Movie a Stephen King movie. I have done my best to scare the shit out of you guys. <laughs> hey Jim. <laughs> yeah. 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 I. Uh, do you, do you want to record a podcast? No, not at all. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Hey, Jim. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jason? Hey, Jim. Yeah, yeah? <clears throat> what is it, Jason? You have to. No. Jason, it is... If you round up, it's halfway through the month. If you round out... <laughs> I've been rounding out for the last ten years or so. <laughs> Same year. <laughs> <laughs> um, we made it into the 90s, though. The 1990s. Fully in the 1990s. We're watching Blossom. Was that in the 90s or was that in the 80s? I don't know. Um, here we are. We're back. I'm not. I left. <laughs> I, what, what are we gonna, what are, what are our mouths gonna do in a week from now? And then two weeks from now. Well, in two weeks, my mouth is going to be stuffed with candy corn. <laughs> oh, that's true. Probably, like, what, Dreamcatcher or Secret Window will be unintelligible, because we're just going to be talking with mouths full of candy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have inch-long candy bars stuck on all my teeth. <laughs> uh, welcome back to... Hell to the King, the podcast where we just keep watching Stephen King movies. Jason, can I tell you something? nobody made us. We just did it to ourselves. I, I know this is going to sound apocryphal at the beginning, but I went to someone's birthday party, uh, and I was talking to someone I hadn't seen in a while, and they asked what I was up to, and I said, oh, I'm doing this podcast. Uh, I was just telling them about it in general. I didn't even go into the Stephen King situation. I just told them that I was doing this podcast with you where we talk about movies, and they told me, Jason, that there are other podcasts about movies. Did you know that? I don't believe it. Yeah. I got mad. I haven't looked yet, but I'm going to look later and see if there are other podcasts where people talk about movies, because if there are, I'm I'm pretty mad. Um, don't... I'll say this. Don't look too hard. Okay. Um, and if you see mm-hmm. a podcast... <laughs> Uh, with my name on it as a guest, yeah. ignore it. I'm gonna, it. It's not real. I'm going to sue you. <laughs> it was before we started. <laughs> um, I just needed to be heard. That's good. I'm glad. It's good to have an outlet. <laughs> it's day 14. It's the end of week two. Um, 
and we have watched a movie I've actually been pretty... It was one of the ones I was pretty excited about doing. Why is this that? This project for. Why? Why? Um, Why? It, this movie looms Why? large... Explain yourself. <laughs> this movie looms pretty large in my... Um, or loomed pretty lar- large in my childhood. Yes. Yeah. As a as a thing that... And as a result has loomed pretty large in my psyche ever since. That's fair. Um, without me ever really seeing it. It was a big cultural moment, for sure. Um, it was. Uh, we are talking about the TV movie adaptation of And it. only, right? It's the only film, only movie adaptation of it is this one. Yeah. I don't... Was I mean, it's just... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where to go with that bit. <laughs> uh, it's interesting to me. First of all, I didn't plan it like this. Mm-hmm. This is just how it shook out, lining the movies up more or less chronologically. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're more or less smack in the center of the month. Yeah. I mean, what mathematically, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I always... For some reason, my brain always works when I'm thinking about these kinds of things... I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Let me rephrase. When I'm thinking about things like series of movies or eras of movies or interconnections of movies like this, for some reason, my mind tends towards a visual model of um, like concentric circles with an epicenter. Okay. Okay. Um, like when I think about American film history, mm-hmm. I I tend to think about film as a 20th century event. Sure. So like the the things that happened in the 19th century and the things that are continuing to happen in the 21st century are in some ways um, kind of vestigial attachments to the core of what film has been. Okay. Like the 19th century was film developing into what it would be. Sure. And now we're in the 21st century and film is disappearing and turning into video and turning into all of these other visual media. Yeah. Um, and so the 20th century is where film lives. Yeah. And then the more you go towards the center of the 20th century, the more you get to the, what it feels like to me is the heart of American cinema. What, um, what one so then, film is in your direct bull, 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 well, it, bull point? It's two bull films. Spot? What it's two films called? and it's Bullseye. the year 1959. Okay. So, and it's, it's two like yin and yang, Apollo and Dionysus, like very Nietzschean mm-hmm. uh, setup, and it's Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, okay, and John Cassavetes's Shadows, okay. Both are in 1959, and they represent polar opposite expressive universes, sure. uh, like strategies for not just storytelling, but like creating artistic experiences. Period. And I feel like you can not precisely because I don't actually want things to be schematic, but I feel like you can feel the resonances both towards the past and towards the future out of that year and kind of organize things that way. Not talking about like literal cause and effect. I'm not saying like the things that happened in 1959 affected 1931, although catch me on a different day and maybe I'll make some kind of argument like that. I believe that they Uh, do, but sure. uh, But for some reason, whatever reason, my mind tends to organize things in terms of uh, epicenters and then ripples outward. Okay. Uh, And for whatever reason, some of the reasons I know, some of them maybe I don't, it, both the book Mm -hmm. and the initial TV adaptation, Mm -hmm. feel like 
an epicenter of what Stephen King has been and means okay. at, in so far as I can see the shape of him okay. and, and his work. Um, I don't know if that tracks for you, but it, that's sort of where I'm coming at this from. Well, I don't see things with an epicenter. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, that's, it, that's a thing. I that can imagine this brain. being that, but I also don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen, I haven't seen the second half yet. Uh, <laughs> having seen the things before this, that sort of, I can, I can, I can see there being developments that, that are, that are cresting here, but I, they could crest two movies later. I don't actually know yet, you know? Right, right, right. And, and this is not a precise thing, but I, I also mean more like, well, I said that this, this movie and this book and this whole concept loomed huge yeah. over, I mean, certainly every kid I knew knew what this was. Yes. Right? Like, yes. this was a thing that we were very aware of. Agreed. When we were growing up. Um, and it just feels like... I don't know. It, it feels like this is the idea and this is the movie that for... It feels like this is the, the like, calling card idea for Stephen King. Like, if you're talking about Stephen King, this is the one that everybody knows. Everybody knows the monster clown. Everybody yeah. knows something about it. I think that's true. That seems accurate to me. So it, it, it feels like somehow and so what and, and it then is that a, ties, it's certainly a seminal text of the yeah. King Oof. Well and it and it also ties in so on a on a literal textual level, the novel mm-hmm. is um, deeply intertwined with what's become King's like macro project. Okay. In the Dark Tower books. Okay. Which is he's he's created a whole um, like meta textual fantasy universe okay. called the Macroverse. I guess. <laughs> Okay. That all of his books take place in on one level or another. Okay. And so all of his books take place on like one level of reality, but then at a higher, more, like I said, metatextual or macroversal reality, there are these like wandering archetypes and god figures and energies and beings mm-hmm. that can essentially they can essentially like travel between the worlds that the books represent okay. whether they do literally or not i don't know I, this is half half based on actual king stuff that i've looked at and then half based on me like late night internet researching yeah, okay. what the hell all of this is because i'm not reading every single book of course um but it, it gets very intricate and Pennywise, mm-hmm. the monster in it, yes. is I think one of the first representatives of that macroverse to show up explicitly in the books. Okay, in the in the, it doesn't really come across in this movie, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Sure. But in the book, it is a being from a complete other plane of existence. Okay, that is like older than our universe and is tied in with the like theology at the center of the king universe or king macroverse this is all it's one of the significant entities in all of king fiction i this is a a sort of sidestep but i i love uh in the mouth of madness and i 
And the main character in it is Sutter Kane, which is obviously just Stephen King, but like bopped with a shoulder. Um, <laughs> but I the always John Carpenter movie, yeah, the John Carpenter movie in the yeah. Mathematics. But I always read it as a as a very as a story about like a Lovecraftian horror author because I'd never I didn't know anything about Stephen King. But that makes a lot of sense because that just it sounds like he has a Lovecraftian sort of universe happening beyond his he he does which he makes does. sense and there's a lot of that sort of yeah. all of these have had these sort of not all of them a lot of them have this sort of there's something spooky you'll never understand it or there's i mean even a couple of days ago when we did uh, pet cemetery it's the thing that's coming back through all yeah. the dead things is some kind of thing yeah some kind of some, evil thing something that's connected beyond, to some other right? thing well and, and like and it's in the books even more so like we talked about in cujo they had that whole segment cut out of the ghost that would pop out of the kid's oh, yeah, closet and make yes. fun of him yeah that isn't I'm, I'm pretty sure again i never went and looked this up but I, i'm pretty sure that that character was like a dead character from another king story and so like there's all of these interconnections but the the interconnections are happening not just on a literal like this character met this character right it's more like the spirits of different stories haunt the other stories which yeah. is actually more interesting to me like that's a more charming thing to have happen yeah yeah that's really lovely um and i, I agree the carpenter in the mouth of madness is a great movie and it is very much about a Lovecraft figure. Yeah. But it's also, it's it's basically positing, like, what if Stephen King was as deranged as Lovecraft? Right. But it is, King does have that aspect to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, did, I didn't I mean, King's is all a little bit more mapped him. out, I think. Sure. Um, but it also gets really weird. But if and Lovecraft again, had written 8,000 <laughs> books, yeah. his would be mapped like, out, too. He just wrote 25 yeah. stories and died. Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, and also the and good riddance. He was a racist. H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft canceled. <laughs> um, well, I think I do think. Not that I want to get in this. We can save this for our our Lovecraft podcast, where we love craft. I always love craft. Uh, no, it's, but, well, um, oh, never mind. I was going to keep pushing that, but I don't need. <laughs> Uh, I, I think Lovecraft was actually a racist interested in, well, he was very much a racist, <laughs> but he was interested in his fiction in the undefinability mm-hmm. and unmappability. Right. Whereas I think well, for him, if defines, you defined it, it wasn't scary anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, and if you defined it, you had to admit that you were just talking about like Italians. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but he was also like, that was, it's almost like a, in Lovecraft, it's almost like a proto-modernist gesture. Like the way Mm -hmm. he describes things, he like, he describes what they aren't. (laughs) And he like, he's describing a thing and he says like three or four different things. It's like, it looked like an octopus, but not like this part, but it looked like a man, but, and it wasn't a man. And you're like, I've read this long description of this thing. And all I know is that there's these four things that it it's, doesn't it's look definitely like. not an so actual like, octopus. Yeah. You can't actually form it in your brain. Right. And I, I think that was actually part of Lovecraft's art. Sure. Was that proto-modernist gesture of complete, complete deferral of understanding. Yeah. Whereas I think King makes gestures like that because he finds them charming or creepy. Mm -hmm. But at his core, he is this little kid that shows up in all of these movies that has all of the action figures and maps it out and figures out like the plan and, you know, the rules and how does this fantasy world work, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he gets to be the Lovecraft and the nerdy kid who's, who's inventing his own 
universe that fits the Lovecraft books and also goes beyond it, right? He gets to yes, make exactly. his own map, his own, uh, what, like, fan canon, right? He gets to just yeah. build that, but it's also the real canon, because he's both. Yeah, exactly. And and it deals with some of that stuff directly, even in the adaptation. Like, they had to cut out so much of the books. The book's, like, over a thousand pages long. Sure. But, and, you know, they, they cut it down to essentially a three-hour movie. Right. Once, you know, you remove commercials, two-and-a-half-hour movie. Yeah. Um, but even in the TV adaptation, there is a sense that this thing they're facing is not what it seems. Yes. Um, it's not even what it is. Like, the physical thing that it is mm-hmm. is not entirely it. That didn't come across to me in the film. <laughs> well, so there's, like, a couple of lines of dialogue where they pay homage to the idea yeah. but then in the actual climax to the film i agree it completely fall like yeah they completely it abandoned that. it feels like the kids come up with some theories and some of the theories that they come up with are super interesting yeah and then at the end they're like nah it's just a big weird spider crab that we can yeah. push over with our hands yeah that the ending is definitely the worst it's so yeah. dismal it, it's i really i mean i like the crab i like the thi- there's things i, I like, like it about in it in a but different it, movie it's, it's such a deflating yeah uh and well i'm gonna hold off for right now talking about the ending that people the book, who listen to this whole series movie. jason are gonna be like for the first six or seven days our whole series they're gonna be like for the first six or seven days they talk about the plots of the movies but then by, <laughs> and then by a week start. and a half in they just spiral <laughs> off into these weird abstract meta meta theories about stephen king they don't even talk about the movies anymore they're all well, labeled damn it, that's like what this one's them talking about it but they don't even they just talk about like stephen <laughs> king's mouth and how the shape it is and but that's what his personal here's the thing it yeah like i said it's it's bigger than just being the book it's bigger than being the tv adaptation or the new movie adaptations or the whatever it is it it's by design he wrote a book that's over a thousand pages that is also a gateway into tens of thousands of pages of other (laughs) books Mm -hmm. so like you can't i don't think you can adequately talk even talk about just one aspect of it without bleeding into all of this other stuff i can't and that to me is what's most interesting and weird and resonant about it that only occasionally comes across in this tv movie but i I do agree we should talk about the movie i think we're i think we watched the movie that through different lenses right because i don't i didn't know any of that until you just said it right and there's no hint in this movie that any of that exists you know when i watch this film i i just get this one movie i don't get any indication that there's anything beyond it in any way that any of these other stephen king movies haven't given me yeah well and that's actually one of the things i wanted to ask you was what like what it felt to you like the monster was because I had all of this sort of free floating understanding. So the, the movie uh, it's, it's uh, like I said, it's a TV miniseries. I think it was only showed over two nights though. It was originally supposed to be like an eight night thing. Oh really? And they were supposed to do a really long adaptation of it. And then ABC got cold feet. Um, because it was the first big, it was the first miniseries in Salem's Lot, first okay. King, right? The first TV thing, and ABC was trying to do this big thing, and like they're gonna like really do it, yeah. And then 
they kept cutting the number of nights <laughs> while they were in production. They were like, actually, we're only going to do four. Actually, we're only going to do three. Actually, finally, it's just two. Like, I think they were, apparently they were nervous about it, like, being a horror project mm-hmm. and being on primetime and giving up all of that real estate to something. So they, it, the screenwriter, who is not Larry Cohen again. Oh, yeah. Old Lawrence fake Larry Cohen. Um, who wrote Carrie yeah. had to keep rewriting to fit the new okay. time parameters. That's interesting that it was originally longer, Jason, because it already the second half, nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so the, actually, the first question I was going to ask is, am I just beaten down <laughs> At this point in the month, or was this movie kind of good? I I thought the first half of this movie was absolutely delightful. Okay. And then I thought the second half was just treading water, and then a super disappointing ending. I, I which is which was a huge bummer for me because the cast is so strong. You know, like yeah. I, I love Harry Anderson. I love John Ritter. I t- t- everyone else was fine. <laughs> um, it was. It's a really strong cast, and they are just given absolutely nothing to do. It's 45 minutes of them calling each other and then showing up and eating dinner and then being in a library, uh, and then and then they fight a monster, but it's a giant crab, and they just push it over with their hands. That's the second yeah. half of this movie, and it's terrible. Yeah, it's, and that, okay, that's the... This is, a th- I think, a lot about the Gene Siskel definition of a good movie, which is... Uh, <laughs> If you would rather sit and have dinner with the characters than watch them do the things they do in the movie, then it's bad. Uh, <laughs> and in this scenario, I think it's—I mean, I think they were all irritating human beings for the most part, but uh, I, they were still more interesting than the movie lets them be. Yes, I think that's true. I did get really excited about the cast. Yeah, the cast um, is super especially good. because I feel like. Because in, of how much you love Seth Green. Well, I that was I was surprised to me see too, him there, too. and then I was like, "Is that?" I was also surprised that he has changed zero percent between right? yeah. nineteen ninety and now. Yeah, so much so that I didn't actually believe that it could be him. Yeah, you like, were like, There's no. "No way he would look like that." He would have been. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but um, usually, when you have a movie like this, where you see kids as characters as kids and then characters as adults, yes, usually one half of that casting situation mm-hmm. is a disappointment agreed and in this one it wasn't i no. love the kids Solid and across. the cast as adults was awesome agreed i agree they didn't give them enough to do mm-hmm. but like but they were very they, well cast yeah i thought the kids were really great and yeah. then annette o'toole john ritter harry anderson richard thomas uh well i've never loved richard thomas that's the one he is the, he is the I, least I, dennis christopher's great out yeah. of anybody. And it's also, it's interesting because he's sort of the main character, right? But really, yeah. the, uh, I don't know who the actor's name is, the the librarian, the black guy, is by far should be the main character. He's the one who has all of the main character beats in the second yeah. half. Yeah, but yeah, they're yeah. like, no, instead, um, Richard Thomas is going to be... Tim your, Reed. Tim is Reed. The, yeah. Who is great. I really liked I yeah, don't he's really recognize good. him, but I really liked him. I recognized him from something. Like, he, I, he felt like the kind of guy who was in... He's just, like, in a lot. Yeah. Like, it's like, I've, I saw you in the 90s a bunch. For sure. And I just don't he was remember around. exactly where. Yeah. Well, he's very good in this movie. And yeah. for some reason isn't the main character, which is weird. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, again, I think that's part of the... So well, I, I I will easily place 
almost all of the flaws with the movie mm-hmm. at the fact that they had to condense it down into this time section. Not to say that they could have done it better. Yeah. Couldn't have done it better. I think they uh-huh. could have done it a lot better even in the time that they had. Yes. But just sort of looking at it, I kind of understand working on the... Uh, working at the speed that I think he probably had to work at. Sure. It ending up clumsy after several productions. Yeah, after having to keep reducing it of like, okay, well, what do I get to keep from the book? What do I have to jettison? Where can I put it so that it works without the other parts? I wonder how much it was. I wonder if it was originally they were like, oh, we're going to do three nights with these kids and that whole part just stayed intact. And then they were like, and then we have ten nights of these adults. And they were like, just kidding, make it one. And he was like, ah! Um, (laughs) And that's why... Well, you would think more things would happen then, though. But the first half is so much stronger. You know, well, so, the first half so feels like it, it settled in in a nice way. Here's the other thing about the book uh, versus the adaptations. And for some reason, this is, uh, I, I guess we could probably imagine why they do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, both adaptations, the new, the this one and the new one, have chosen to separate out the child yeah. and adult storylines. In the book, they are overlapped through to the end. Oh, that they makes go back and forth. Sense. So, like, you get the climaxes both towards the climax. Like, it's sure it's the shape you know, you, of one thing. Yeah, and it, it's. I mean, it, it, it's not like Which, exactly that, but you right. get a lot more kids toward the end, and you get yeah. a lot more adult at the beginning. Yeah. So it's it's intermeshed together as opposed to just because most of the interesting thing hap- stuff happens when they're kids yes and that's kind of the point of the book it's a book about moving from childhood to adulthood yeah um in a lot of ways and so there's not as much to do when you're an adult except deal with all of the things that are left over from being a kid right which are then like inter intermixed structurally yeah that sounds but they, nice yeah yeah, I, but for some reason they don't like. It, there doesn't seem to be see, any reason. I can see making explicitly a two night version of a thing that's broken into two discrete halves that are intermixed, and being like, oh, I'm going to unmix those two discrete halves because I have two chunks to work with. I can understand yeah. that impulse. Yeah, but in in the new movie, I don't. Understand I suppose why that you way because that. you get you get. I guess because you in the new movie they broke it into two parts, so yeah, you get why? a climax for each part. But like break it into three parts and keep them intermingled. Then you have one more movie yeah. and uh, whatever. Who cares? Yeah, um, I mean, there, there's a there's a lot of other choices they could make on yeah. on that front. But I, I do think that's a big part of what we're feeling. Also, yeah. there is a lot just like left out of the scenes as they're constructed. I would but imagine get, getting back to the movie as it is, as yeah. it exists, trying to set the book aside, which I will, I will do for the moment. Yes. Um, what did this movie feel like to you? Like, what did it feel like the monster was? What were the, the high points and the low points for you? I, I can tell you the highest point, Jason is when the lead bully is attacked by a blinding ray of light and turns into Jim Jarmusch. <laughs> That's the best part of the whole movie for me. Um, I assume that this film is made as a prequel to Jim Jarmusch's entire career. Uh-huh. Uh, I, the, the, here's the thing, Jason, is that it 
Pennywise the clown the monster is awful. It's a terrible it's a terrible antagonist. Okay. Uh, Cuz why is he a clown? Uh, it seems like because they're kids, but then he just keeps being a clown, but he's not a clown. It's just a face he chose. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, sometimes he can be beams of light, and then he's actually a giant, terrible, slow-moving crab monster. Uh, I hate him. I hate the monster. <laughs> I don't understand any because he can show up as other things, mm-hmm. uh, but he's he not can like, look like anything. But, he, but can he, or can he just look like a clown, a beam of light, and a crab? Because that's all he does. I think maybe once he's a skeleton, it's he. No, he's a skeleton. He's a werewolf. He's that old lady. Oh yeah, he's, he's an old lady. everybody's dead relative. Why doesn't he? show up as things then why does he choose to do things other than a clown four times why is he a clown so much uh because what's his deal (laughs) it seems like it seems like it's a way to trick them into appreciating him but it's not it is it is the first time the first time he shows up he's like hey little kid i'm just a normal clown who's stuck in the sewer like a clown uh why don't you give me your arm and the kid's like okay um and that one time, it makes sense that he's a clown. Then for the rest of the movie, it makes zero sense that he shows up as a clown. In, yeah. And he doesn't even... Uh, wait, in your Not version... only that, Jason, but he shows up as a clown in a photograph from the 1800s. He's been pulling this same gimmick for hundreds of years. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I could see he just... Did, did you... Did your version have... A scene with the sewer. It yeah. The kid goes up or to do the they sewer just talk about it? and he no, no. The kid goes up to the sewer and he has a boat that that the older brother made for him. It skips around the arm being ripped off. They say later that his arm was ripped off. But I saw the kid go up to the clown in the sewer and reach in, and then I think it cuts out. I think my version didn't have that. Really? Yeah. Huh. Weird. I wonder what. Maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention. Yeah, maybe. Like I saw the kid go out. But it didn't. No. Anyway, the little brother, the little brother kid. Yeah. Yeah. No, I saw him go. I never saw. He like has a sort of conversation with Tim Curry. Conspicuous to me that that scene was gone because that's like the iconic scene from the story. Sure. And I was like, well, I guess they just couldn't rip it. Deal with having his arm ripped off. They don't rip the arm off. Or in the one I saw, they didn't rip the arm off. But they he did go out and talk to Tim Curry and then disappear. Oh yeah, that was not in. And then the like the version I watched. Then does it cut? Oh, then it cuts to the future, and there's another dead kid, right? And then the version the I watched like, just oh. starts with the little girl. Oh, weird. Am I missing a big piece of it? The beginning. I don't know how big it was. Honestly, weird. the movie's three hours long. I don't remember this. I wonder scope why that is. Yeah, it's very strange. Looking at it real quick. Um, the thing that was my favorite. I'm just going to talk while you're looking. The thing that was my favorite in this movie that they allude to when the kids fight the monster. And then they almost come back to when adult when they're adults, but they don't really. Um, but it seems like because this monster is just sort of an ambiguous being of of pure decision making, right? It's mm-hmm. like ah, I'm a clown now, whatever I am. Uh, when the kids fight it, they're like, okay, these things are silver, so they'll hurt it. And because they think that, they do, right? Yeah. And that one kid's like, okay, the stuff that's in my inhaler is d- d- acid for you, acid. Yeah. and then he sprays it, and it hurts him because they just said it will, and that. I think is awesome. That's such a yeah. good attribute for a monster. And then they just never go back to any of that. They just drop yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and for me, that was the most interesting part. So like, th- those are all hints at the sort of greater tapestry of what's going on in the book. Mm-hmm. But I, I totally agree that I liked, 
I, I don't it's I guess it's harder for me to, than I thought to separate out my relationship with this story in all of its forms and yeah. this movie okay. because I ended up really enjoying this movie for sure. the most part until sort of the clumsiness of the last scene. Okay. Um but it might have just been because it wasn't completely awful. Yeah. Like I do think it might have just been a, a a case of such exceedingly diminished expectations <laughs> that all of the things that the movie did well, I was like, yeah. oh hey, yeah. I also and it does, for me the clown works of the movie is really good. way better for me than it does for you. That's it. Why? What works about that clown for you? Well, for one, it's Tim Curry. Right, but Tim Curry is often not a clown. Sure, I've seen him sure, most of the movies in he's he in, is. Jason. He's terrifying, and he's not a clown. So, yeah. um, so it doesn't also, have to be like, a clown. Two clowns are scary. I see. I also don't. I don't. I don't understand that whole cultural reassessment of clowns as being frightening. I think clowns are fun and full of joy. Okay, so that's where you're weird because it's not a reassessment. It's how everyone has always felt. That's not true. People didn't feel that way until probably this movie. No, clowns have always <laughs> been. Terrifying. There's a reason that we have 150 years of clowns being clowns before the last 20 <laughs> years of everyone being like, clowns murder people in the woods. That's not, that's never been true. Clowns juggle and trip over something and fall into a piano that explodes. If it you can't enjoy terrifying. that, then I don't understand who you are. I like, look, I like clowns in in a reasonable clown context, but you can't tell me that clowns aren't inherently terrifying looking in any other context. Uh, sure, but so is anyone in any 1920s show makeup. No, no, not like a clown. You're wrong on this one, Jim. <laughs> um, so this is, I think that is probably the core divide, is that to me and almost every single other human being, clowns are inherently terrifying on some level. I don't even understand that at all. But, so you think that's why it makes sense that he stays a clown? Yeah. Because it's it is because he's it, like this is the scariest thing I a giant monster that lives underground can think of for a kid yeah because obviously he wants but they're not kids the whole movie <laughs> right but he's but he's attacking their childhood mm. like their child selves that are sure. still in them okay like he's like I'm your childhood fears mm, because okay. normally he doesn't mess with adults right like he messes with them if he needs something functional but he's not interested in eating adults he's interested in eating kids there's no specifically of that. <laughs> he says it specifically does he okay well and also the whole thing ha yeah no, there's also no, no, no. there's also 700 kids in that town that he doesn't mess with for some reason he's interested in messing with these six people <laughs> No, he messes with lots of different kids. He kills two kids that aren't the main characters. More than that. I only saw him kill two kids. Well, and the bullies, but the bullies come after him. Sure, but he, like, he... He and goes after And they talk about how there's a whole series of child children. murders. Okay, all right. And that it's been going on for, for hundreds of years, as you said. And so he talks about how they taste better when they're scared. And he obviously is after kids because there's lots and lots of adults in the in the world that he just doesn't... He uses to get to the children. So okay. obviously there's something about children that he's uh -huh. interested. It might be... Well, no, no. They, they even say explicitly it's, it's, the, it's, the, believe, it's the believing thing. It's for like sure. a... Is that cat attacking you again? No, she's just snoring, and I didn't know if it was oh, okay. loud. Um, so it's it's the... <laughs> I'm going to wake her up. She's really loud. It's her. <laughs> she's, uh, she's mad at me, but she's awake. Um, no, so so it's that, that believing thing, right? The believing makes it true. It's the no. double-edged sword. It's because the it's the kid's belief in 
terrifying monsters under the bed, etc. That makes them more vulnerable to his uh, psychic terror attacks and also more delicious to him because they taste better when they're scared. Okay. Um, because other like he's 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 running the whole town right like if all he wanted to do was eat people he could just eat everybody boom instantly like that so obviously there's something about luring children in one by one Mm -hmm. in a terrifying way that is important to his ingestion of his meal even if it's just for flavor sure um and also the reason he starts going after those kids I mean, presumably he's, like, kind of creeping around all kinds of kids, Mm -hmm. but these are the kids that... That react. React and start pushing back. And and it's made pretty clear multiple times that he is afraid of them because he understands on a level that they don't until the end Mm -hmm. that if they were to actually work together and sort of join forces of you know in terms of supporting each other with their imaginations they could defeat him Mm -hmm. like he's he is afraid of their unity and afraid of them um coming together and so he's keeping them like off balance and off kilter okay that's how i read that this all feels like you're just reacting to the first half of the movie sure (laughs) because in the second half i feel like most of that is not true anymore um what sort of is like he he still needs like he still can't confront them directly, right? He has to try to like psychologically separate them or get them not to to be a unified front. I didn't, I, I didn't get that, but that might just be me being dumb. Well, I don't know. I'm, it's also just like a, it's a real tonal thing, and it might be just a thing I decided was true. Um, I mean, because I feels, don't think it's spelled out explicitly. It feels like it kind of makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> That he hates friendship. That also feels very Stephen King. Yeah, you know, yeah, because very much. this is this is in the 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 branch of Stephen King, right? We've already had that first branch that we fully explored of man destroys his family. This is in the yeah. second branch of uh, of ch- childhood is difficult and everyone is super mean to you and and wouldn't it be nice to have had friends when I was a kid? Yeah. You know? This is this <laughs> exactly. is that yeah, yeah, yeah. of his Yeah, Stephen career. King's Band of Brothers. Because yeah. in the second half he's clearly afraid of the fact that they've come back, right? Like yes. everything he's doing is to try to keep them from coming after him. Mm-hmm. He but all he can do is try to scare them. Right. For some reason he can't attack them directly. He has to scare them or he has to re-recruit Henry Bowers. Yeah, but sometimes he can attack them directly. Like when he rips that kid's arm off. Wait, what do you mean? I mean, at that point, he, as a clown, just grabs a kid's arm and pulls and it comes off. Right, but that's that's somebody who's alone who is coming to him. Uh-huh. So, like, he can attack you if you're alone. I he see. can attack you if you're alone and afraid. Mm-hmm. And in his, like... If you're if you're subterranean in some way, it seems that's like the, that's the so other you have to thing be in a that, basement, or you're reaching into a sewer pipe, or it threw me a little bit because that first kid he does not try to scare at all until he is actively pulling his arm off. Right, he, he just tries to charm him, and so that is different enough from the generalized mo that it it's like what you, when your first murder is different than your calling card no one's going to assume it's you, right? It, it threw me off of his path a little bit there. Well, uh, but again, you're, you're, the generalized MO that we're talking about is his yeah. MO with 
the kids that he sees as a threat. But because he also, he tries okay. to charm the little girl. Right. He tries to charm Ben by being his father at oh, first. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, like, he, he goes through, a, he, he tries to, a number of different things where he's like, he's definitely trying to entice people. Now, I agree, it falls apart a little bit, sure. especially when he, like, comes out of the drain in the shower thing. Like, that could have right. been completely handled differently. Like, yes. it, it, it doesn't hold together. I yeah. completely agree with that. But I do feel like there's a through line of what it feels like it's at least supposed to be. Yeah. And I think, and that it, I think you it, found it, that it, with more clarity than I was able to. That's possible. And again, I was a little primed. Although I haven't By read primed, the whole do you book. you mean you were drinking whiskey? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't read the whole book and I haven't read any of it since I was like 10. Sure. So, you know. Um, can I tell you the three worst things? Yes. <laughs> in this movie? Uh one of them is the word deadlights. I couldn't hate that any more than I do. Well, that's um, pure king. Yeah. Uh, uh, the second one is him saying that everyone floats down there. Because what does that even mean? Uh, at first, you think he's referencing a balloon with that first kid, but then he just keeps saying it to everybody, and then they get down there, and it doesn't make any sense. Unless he means, I'm a giant spider, and I'll stick you to the wall. I don't know what it's complete nonsense and it makes me mad uh and then the third thing is that the first time he shows up to seth green he says beep beep richie and then for the rest of the movie everyone says beep beep richie (laughs) to harry anderson and you're like why are they all torturing him like this they say it like it's an endearment thing but it's just a thing that he he gets terrified by a werewolf um, All of those are things that maybe make sense in the book, but were infuriating for me in this film. Yeah, I have no idea if they make sense in the book. I don't really remember well enough. Um, I'm not asking I, you to clarify. I'm just no, telling no, you what I'm fine. mad about. I just found... I'm just doing the old what's your beef section from Jay Leno is what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, it's... I think were I to watch this film again, I think the fact that I was even about to say that and then <laughs> realized... I'm not going to watch this film again. Sure. Does mean that I think I was a combination of just being pummeled into low expectations. Sure. uh, And having some understanding and affection for what was going on. Because I don't know. I felt like there were a lot of scenes that were well done that I enjoyed. I agree. I fully agree. Yeah. When that kid goes to the pharmacist and it's Stephen King and then that dead guy talks to him. I don't remember yeah. if that's all one scene or not, but that was delightful. One I think that's times. all one. Yeah. Um, I think that if somebody went through and cut this down to two hours and also changed how it ends, it would be great. Or if you cut it down to just the kids. Although I, I do think the adults have... I think that they themselves are such strong actors. I honestly don't remember well, there being any great scenes with the adults, though. I, again, I don't understand why you get rid of... I guess we talked about why you might get rid of it. But the, the intercutting is so yeah. crucial. So the yes. other thing they got rid of... I'll just go back now to, to talking about the differences. The other thing they sure. got rid of is the way that they actually deal with the monster... Like the the they don't the just little, push him with their hands. No, the the silver thing is <laughs> is like a little part of it. Oh, when they're kids. Yeah, when they're okay. kids and and when they're adults. But in both when they're kids and when they're adults, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tim Curry, John no, Ritter, the, the, Harry the, the main the main kid who's the Stephen King stand-in. Oh, mole guy. Um, yeah, the the uh, John boy. Yeah. Um, both times he enters a battle of wills with the thing. 
Okay. So it's like completely on a mental plane. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, that's not in it, the movie at all. It's a, it's a thing called the ritual of Chud. Like cannibalistic human ground, humanoid underground. Probably. Yeah, although there's an umlaut over the U, so I guess it's oh, chud. ritual of Chud. Um, but that is what it's <laughs> That's called. So dumb. Yeah, um, but it's like charmingly dumb. Yeah, yeah. I feel no, like it's beautifully dumb. I love yeah. it. Yeah, so so like there's all of this. Yeah, there's all of this intricate like fantasy novel stuff that goes on that you could you can see why they would have to end up cutting it, but it does really lessen the yeah. enormity of what's happening and yes. the the levels of what's happening emotionally and and psychically. So like yes. instead of just hitting it with a rock and pushing it over and tearing its heart out, yeah. they have to defeat it on another plane of existence before they can even access any kind of physical body to destroy. That is better. Yeah. I was a little bummed honestly that it had any physical body at all you know well they and well they do say in there's a like a throwaway line of dialogue that was sort of a an acknowledgement of the situation of like when it feeds it has to have a physical body okay so so the idea being like maybe you're not actually vanquishing or killing this thing in and of itself but you're killing its like physical access to this world or something like that like it's like a three-dimensional chunk of a four-dimensional being yeah very yeah yeah exactly grow another beak Mm -hmm. four-dimensional beak but like maybe it can't grow one in this right three-dimensional area anymore it has to go to a different world or yeah, yeah something like that yeah um i don't remember if they like legit kill Pennywise or not in the book or if they sure. just like vanquish him I know Pennywise gets referenced in other books because he's like this you know he's the devil essentially wait really not actually but like in the Stephen King cosmology sure. he's no, one, no, 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 yeah. one of the more powerful evil things okay. that exist so That's the other thing that happens is that well but so but the other but also in the book he's not always a clown okay. that was a choice that they made because I think they wanted to have a visual and performer consistency throughout the sure. scenes um, so I kind of understand that, and because Tim Curry is Tim Curry, and clowns are sure. terrifying, Jim, Disagree. it works better for me. <laughs> um, but in the book, so actually, one of the fun things about the book that they definitely you know what's scarier couldn't. than a clown is a coal miner. Um, You're like that man is underpaid, and he's going to die young. That's... <laughs> that could be true of a clown too. Yeah. Um, so one of the one of the things that happens in the book that they definitely couldn't do on television because there's no way that ABC would get pay for these rights and they wouldn't uh-huh. have them to begin with <laughs> is that Ramones. well the so they Listen to boom shake the room by will smith <laughs> they they allude to it when it becomes i was a teenage werewolf which i guess is mm. a movie that they could sure. access the rights to in the I book <laughs> he like in multiple different scenes takes the form of like universal monsters so like one kid gets killed by the gill man from creature from the black lagoon one kid gets attacked by the frankenstein's monster yeah um so like there's all of these things and it's and it's all stuff that the kids would be seeing and be afraid of sure and so it it, which i bet they changed that part oh no it's set in 1960s right in my brain i was like they probably changed it because in the 90s they were probably like nobody knows who these monsters are yeah well so they allude to it the one time when the hand comes out at ben after he was pretending to be his dad the hand comes out and it's the gill man's hand and it's the same shot from creature from the black lagoon but then they have to immediately have it be a skeleton that pops up so they're not so they don't get sued right right (laughs) um so there's like a lot of weird i feel like 
industrial reasons behind a lot of the choices that they made that I could sort of see while I was watching it, which also made it a more interesting for me watching it because I was thinking about those things while I was watching sure. it. And it also made me go a little bit lighter on choices they made because I could imagine like Lawrence Cohen and Tommy Lee Wallace being like, well, we just want to make a movie right. <laughs> and right. here are all the things that we have to work around. So let's do this this time. Yeah. Um, at least we'll have a stop motion before. spider crab. <laughs> it's too bad you this know. happened before we only had three entertainment companies. Yeah. You know? Walt <laughs> yeah, Disney everybody would have just probably owns everything. Universal and ABC. I think they do actually own Universal and ABC. No, M- uh, NBC Universal is owned by Comcast, which is owned by GE. Oh, uh, okay. Never mind then. GE and <laughs> Disney would have had to have struck, struck a So deal. It's, it would be Comcast versus Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. I, I the, the movie worked better for me than it should have. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there are some legitimate reasons that we've established, like clowns, and some illegitimate reasons, like my pre-existing sort of weird fascination with this story that I never fully read, so I never finished it in my head. Sure. So it just has all of these, like, there still has all of these branches off into other things that maybe could be true about the story, but I don't know because I'm not going to read it. So it's just an unfinished, interesting space of imagination for me. Yeah, that makes sense. One thing that I think you'll like is that in the books, Mm -hmm. the children are aided by a magic turtle. Oh, which why isn't that in the movie? <laughs> is I bet it's not in the new one either. That would have won me over a thousand percent. Yeah. So the magic turtle is like the most. I don't know if it's the most powerful being, or is if it it's also just a Stephen King oldest. stock character? Does it come back in other books? Oh yeah, it's oh, it's I it's love the that. it's the being that I think literally supports the entire macroverse on its back. Sure. Okay. So like. Yeah, yeah. The turtle just shows up to like dispense wisdom and and commune with forces of good within the different universes. All right, I forgive Stephen King for the deadlights <laughs> because of this turtle. That's not the worst term, deadlights. I think I it's hate ter- it. I think it's terrible the way they all. I I was disappointed when they said it because I was yeah. like, oh, that's not how you say that word. No, and they all scoop it up. It's also if it were in the film Christine, I'd be like, hooray. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's just a clown. Clowns don't have headlights. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it's also a, it's also a creature who's existed since before vehicles or or electric lighting. He See, this, a, is, this is where the wiring in our heads are a little bit different because it didn't even occur to me to link it to headlights. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's clearly a pun on headlights, Jason. I don't actually think it's intended to be. How could it not be? It is one letter different. I know. No, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> you, th- this is a situation where your brain is if, seeing more clearly than I think mine and Stephen King's. If I didn't think it was connected to headlights, I would not hate it nearly as much. I would still think it's a dumb term. Deadlights. I, I 100% okay. don't think it's meant to be related to headlights, but obvi- like I do think it's, it's the kind of thing... beams of light that shine out of his eyeballs or whatever. No, 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 no. It's bunches and bunches of beams of light that whatever. shine out of his tummy and mouth. I don't care. <laughs> but also, I think that's another thing in the book where it's like you see them once you like see past the veil of reality. Mm. And then it's like you just see like these this thing that you can only interpret as lights and they're called the deadlights. Yeah. And I think it's because you're seeing, like, what's beyond life. You can't hear this on the podcast, but I'm frowning as hard as I can possibly frown right now. Um, I don't know. It's all all a mess. It's all whatever it is. It's 
fine. The point is I forgive him because of that turtle. The turtle sounds The turtle like is the so charming. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I can't... I don't think either It adaptation uh, had the guts to include what I told you about in a previous episode, which is the orgy oh, right. uh, among the kids. Right. It is definitely not in this one. Nope. In fact, one of the kids goes so far as to say that he's never had sex, to which I thought, maybe you don't remember, but all of you have had sex with Beverly. I think that's them specifically denying any any connection with that part of the book. Yeah. It's... It's like, like, not only did you not see it, but it definitely 100% yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> don't not, go read the book. Yeah. I don't think they did it in the new one either. I mean, today's climate would not be the climate where you could, if you no, ever that's a, could. That's a tough scene. That's a tough yeah. scene to yeah. include I think it's a scene that really justify. can only, if it can successfully exist, and I'm not even positing that it does, but yeah. if it can successfully exist, it can only exist in prose where you can do like multiple layers of meaning and yes. experience in within the sentences and yeah. you don't have the image right there being the thing that it is. Yes. So like you can be in all of their heads at once and sort yeah. of be explaining how this is why a, it's cool for all of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like that's that's your only way out because otherwise there's just way too much to deal yeah. with. Yeah. Oh, uh, Jason, can I tell you, there was one, I, I redact my statement that nothing good happens in the second half. Uh, there's that one completely insane sequence where uh, the main guy and the librarian find the main guy's bike from when he was a kid and fix it and ride it around together in a parking <laughs> lot, like total dopes. Yeah. That scene is delightful. Yeah. I really, I liked that. Completely kept... nonsense. Doesn't matter to the movie. Super delightful. <laughs> well, it does matter because the bike is what works at the end to bring his wife back. I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, this is the last scene in the movie. Oh, really? Is is John Boy gets on the bike and puts his wife on it. Because the whole idea, so again, oh, right. it's one of those things you know, where I just I l- didn't care about that part or like it. I only yeah. like it when it's him and the librarian. I liked that they kept the bike. Yeah. Even though most of the bike's use was really perfunctory. Yes. Because, again, you don't have the pros right. that puts you inside the experience in a different way. You're just looking at people on a bike. So it's yeah. only fun when it's those guys in the parking lot. Agreed. And I don't think Lawrence Cohen or Tom and Lee Wallace are <laughs> up to the task of crafting a scene that can imbue any of the other stuff with any of the qualities that would be yes. found in the pros. Yeah. I can imagine there being filmmakers who could do it, sure. but that's not what we're dealing with here. No. Um, but yeah, like the, the bike becomes a really potent symbol in the novel because it's the bike that beat the devil and like he pedaled so, and he like, again, John boy, it's all in these like little lines of dialogue. You can hear yeah. Lawrence Cohen sitting there being <laughs> like, I love this part of the book, but I can't get it in. I'll just have, <laughs> Uh, I'll just have Richard Thomas say a line of dialogue that yeah. kind of alludes to all the things I liked about the scene mm. that I can't do. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like yeah. there's a number of times in, so the, in the movie that's that, that's where it's just one of the characters saying like one and a half to two lines of dialogue more than is necessary for the scene, sure. and it's all just cramming in sort of subtextual information or extra plot information that's from stuff that he couldn't fit in the script. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and that happens at the end there where I think he puts her on the bike and he goes, this bike beat the devil once we pedaled so fast. I don't know if I can pedal that fast again. And then they oh, go yeah. down the hill. Yeah. 
But, like, they can't even manage to shoot it so it looks like they're really going fast. Yeah. They're just kind of so rolling it just doesn't the work at all. Yeah. I forgot about that whole sequence because if it was because it was terrible is why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's it. That's the movie. And I I do I I also I still maintain that this is the epicenter of the entire King yeah. world. Which um, I mean I, and also sort of represents there's giant cosmic horror. There's a band of loser kids. There's way too much stuff to fit into a movie. It's all the things. Yeah. Except well, a psychic. And it's also not... Well, no, but but there's so much psychic... There is a lot of psychic ...event activity. happening. Yeah, yeah. There's so it's definitely event. a tick in the box for you there. Yeah. It's also not a good movie. Agreed. <laughs> Which is, once again, to me, at the epicenter of the King yeah. film phenomenon. Sure. I do... I still... I think the first half of this is very strong. Yeah, it is. I mean, they get great performances out of those kids. Yeah. They set up some genuinely creepy scenes. Yeah. Um... I do think maybe... I think if, if the ending weren't so terrible, it would be super easy to cut it down into a hour and 45 minute long great movie. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, I mean, I also think you could still do that... With even, a ridiculous ending? No, no, I think you just leave out the adult ending. Oh, uh, you just, yeah, but then you, you have you to leave out all the adults. Somehow, no, you <laughs> craft it somehow so that it's the kids defeating him. You, I bet you could manage... But then manage, why did they come back together, Jason? I bet you could manage to edit it so that as they go into the sewer tunnel, they yeah. turn into their child selves and face okay. him as children. And right, then when they that. leave the sewer tunnel, they're adults again. I love that. I bet you could manage to do that so that you only have one climax. It's the okay. kid climax. Yes, I love it. Except they go in twice as kids. So you take the the lamer parts of them being in the sewer as kids first. Yeah, yeah, And then exactly. the better parts. Oh, exactly. yeah, let's... I'm gonna... I'm gonna do that in November. Yeah. That's but a lot. I'm not gonna do that. What are you gonna do, gonna do about the clown? it. What do you mean? There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> I didn't know if you had some plan to replace Tim Curry somehow. No, I'm not gonna replace Tim Curry. I, yeah, you know what I could do is pull Tim Curry out of other movies. I could put in a couple of clips from Clue and some from Legacy. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, sometimes he's a clown, and sometimes he's a butler, and sometimes he's the actual devil. Yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah. I think he's done a lot of voice acting for children's cartoons too. I bet you could sure. pull from that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I could. Yeah, completely sometimes he's a cartoon. Tim Curry. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, this has been the epicenter of the, epicenter. the earthquake in our brains that is yeah. this podcast. Yeah. Um, I think we just recorded an episode that is proportionately as long as this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's the three-hour-long episode, and then it's an is, hour We're going to release it over two nights. <laughs> uh, can we? Does that mean we don't have to do anything tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, well, let's, let's cut out... We, we can we can cut misery and just release two parts of it, but I'm gonna have to go. That's gonna be a lot more editing for me because I'm gonna have to go through and intercut it so that no, you just cut it exactly <laughs> in the middle. No, no, no. See, we're gonna have to do like five minutes from the beginning, five minutes from the middle, five <laughs> minutes from after that. Five, we have to keep doing it so that mm-hmm. the climaxes to the two halves line up. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm I'm into that. Yeah. Cool. I'll do it. Great. Um, see y'all in the funny papers. (laughs) (sighs) No more clowning around for this crew. Get out of (laughs) here. Penny wise, pound foolish. That doesn't even make sense. (laughs) 
Hell to the King is a special presentation of the Synesthesia Podcast, produced by Iguana Donald Studios, and distributed by Split Tooth Media. Music by Loyalty Freak. Hell to the King is recorded live before a studio audience in a glass box suspended between the devil and the deep blue sea. I don't have inch long candy bars stuck on all my teeth. <laughs> <laughs>